Welcome, everybody. So glad you're uh, with us today. And I want to say again something that Pastor Jeff said a few moments ago, and that is that even though we may not be physically in the same place, the presence of the Lord connects our hearts over distance, over time. And uh, right now, I believe God is working in a number of people. And if you're not part of River of Life and you're joining this uh, live stream today, or maybe you're seeing it later, we have been praying that God's Word uh, would touch you today. I know that there are many people feeling so many different things right now. Um, it's uh, difficult to be in this season with uh, the social distancing and um, seeing my neighbors. Usually we're face to face and just kind of waving from a distance is a little tough. And uh, I miss hugging a lot of you. I just want you to know that. We just, uh, we miss, we, we all miss that. But uh, the Lord is with us today, and I just want to pray. If we could just take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to move in all of our hearts. Father, I want to thank you for this time together. I believe, Lord, that this is a divinely appointed time. Every time we get together, whether it's together in one room or whether we're connecting on the Internet, I believe that you have good things in store for us. Lord, I pray right now where people have been discouraged or maybe lonely, where maybe people have been battling just some of the restrictions uh, in their own heart. Lord, I pray right now that your peace would just come and rest on people. Lord, I believe your spirit can move and minister to people's hearts right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would touch people, encourage people today. Your word is powerful, Lord. It can change our hearts. It can do amazing things. Your word can heal. Your word can convict us of the truth. Your word can bring comfort. It can bring guidance. And today, Lord, as we get into your word, we just want to thank you because we know that you're going to be at work in us. So, Lord, open our hearts, open our minds to hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to share a uh, message with you. Very good. So today I want to share a message that the Lord put on my heart uh, about, uh, is this the Jesus you expected? And uh, Palm Sunday, we usually uh, traditionally talk about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. But today I want to ask the question, who is the real Jesus? Who is the Jesus that uh, really uh, reigns over all of heaven and earth? Who is the real Jesus who came? I think a lot of people have expectations of who Jesus is. A lot of people have uh, a, an understanding in their own mind and their own heart. But unless we know the real Jesus, we're not really going to be transformed and touched. This is a uh, painting, by the way, of an artist, uh, Eliane Kramaric. I believe I pronounced her name correctly. She painted this picture at age eight. Uh, after having a series of dreams and visions. Uh, some of you that saw the uh, movie um, Heaven is for Real or read the book Heaven is for Real might remember the little boy uh, Colton Burpo uh, at four years old. He was in a crisis situation and uh, literally left his body. He comes back and he shares uh, the experiences he had sitting on the lap of Jesus when he saw uh, Akian's uh, picture here of Jesus, he said, that's the real Jesus. But the reality is that we really don't know. Uh, we don't know what the real Jesus looked like when he was here on earth. We know that when John saw him in Revelation 1, he looked a lot different than he did at the Last Supper. And we're going to talk about that. But uh, I'm, here's my theory. If people did have a picture of what Jesus really looked like uh, back then, they would probably worship pictures. So maybe the Lord doesn't want us to have that picture. Well, let's start in Luke chapter 19, verse 11. 
It says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Let me just take a moment and set the stage for Palm Sunday. The whole week before Palm Sunday, Jesus is doing amazing miracles. He's in the house of Lazarus. Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and it's turned the community of Bethany, which is not far from Jerusalem. It's only several miles away, but it turned the community upside down. The people that loved Jesus were gathering even more to see who he was. The people that hated Jesus were trying to figure out, how do we stop this guy? But The people had the idea that when Jesus stepped in Jerusalem, he was going to fulfill every prophecy about the Messiah and the kingdom of God was going to come at once. What did that mean to a first century Jewish person back there? It meant to them that Jesus would take up the throne of David, that all the enemies of Israel would be destroyed and overthrown. The entire Roman occupation of that time, uh, Pontius Pilate, all the people that were there ruling over the city would be destroyed by Messiah. And this was the expectation of Jesus. They thought that Jesus would come in the glory days of David and Solomon would return. This was the expectation that many had of Messiah. Uh, For a lot of people that were Bible scholars, they knew the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. If you, uh, by the way, have never studied that prophecy, uh, we have that up on our website, Daniel chapter 9, in our Daniel class. It's available to anybody. It's one of the most amazing prophecies of all time. But if you figure out the number of days uh, in the prophecy, it puts you right to the time that Jesus uh, goes to the cross. And many people expected Jesus to come during this time. They knew that it would be about 30 AD. So Daniel's prophecy loomed large in the minds of many uh, Jewish uh, believers of the time. Now, some theologians saw both messiahs. They saw a suffering messiah like Isaiah 53, uh, where Jesus is talked about as a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. Uh, He was the one who was bruised for our iniquities. He was the one that took the stripes of punishment so that we could be made whole. They saw the suffering messiah. Uh, There were others that saw the victorious Messiah, the Messiah that would return at the end of days and destroy all the nations that were trying uh, to destroy Israel. And uh, they, they had a hard time reconciling these two pictures of who the Messiah would be. So when Jesus came, most people were looking for the conquering Messiah. They weren't looking for the one who would become the Lamb of God that would die for the sins of the world. So Jesus indeed would return as the conquering Messiah, and the day is coming when he will come back, and he will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But first, Jesus had to come to lay down his life for the atonement of Israel and all the people that would follow him. Let's read Luke 19, starting in verse 29. It says, As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said, and sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout 
and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. There was a sense of expectation in their hearts. There was this idea, this sense that suddenly God was going to do everything that he had promised through Messiah. They said, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And uh, the King James, some of the older versions say, Hosanna. We always talk about Hosanna in the highest. We sang that this morning. Verse 39, it says, but some of the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the uh, Jewish religious council of the day, one of the uh, main parties. Some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that all uh, you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close you in on from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Amazing words. Even though many people were there praising God and they were worshiping and giving glory to Jesus, they didn't know the very Son of God, the God who created all things, uh, was there in their very midst. Now, the week before Jesus entered Jerusalem, like I said, was one of amazing drama and miracles. And perhaps the largest miracle was Lazarus being raised from the dead. Expectations were high with Jesus heading for Jerusalem. And I think that in those first few days that Jesus has entered into the city, people were expecting at any moment it's going to happen. But there was something that turned during the week. And by Friday of that week, this crowd that had cheered Jesus coming into the city had disappeared, and there was nobody standing on his behalf at his trial. An amazing transition of um, favor to unfavor. The miracle of Lazarus, by the way, had created an awareness by those who loved Jesus, but also by those who hated him and wanted to kill him. In one of the other Gospels, it says that uh, the uh, religious leaders of the day said, we have to find a way. This is the Pastor Joe version. We have to find a way to stop this guy. Uh, He has to die. His disciples, even those who followed him, still did not understand one week before. And this is an amazing thing to me. These are the people that were closest to him his 12 apostles and people that were close to him. Right before they go into the city, in Luke 18, verse 31, it says, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, and listen to the words, because Jesus is so clear in telling his followers exactly what's going to happen. He knew everything. He knew the prophecies. He knew what his father had told him. He knew who he was. He knew where he was going. Jesus says, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. I really believe that Two factors are at work here. One, when you've never seen anything happen before, who had ever seen someone rise from the dead on their own? Nobody. Nobody ever saw that. They couldn't imagine what Jesus was saying here. They couldn't imagine this man that never did anything wrong, that never hurt anybody, was going to suffer and die and uh, be part of a trial that we all know was rigged. Even though Jesus 
told them plainly their minds could not comprehend a Savior that would actually suffer and die. They definitely couldn't understand what it means that he would rise from the dead, something that they just could not accept. There was a spiritual veil over their eyes that had to be lifted. The triumphant entry, they shouted praises. They threw their clothes and palm branches on the ground as a way of honoring and welcoming him. The leaders told Jesus to stop those who were praising him. And he replied, if he did, the very stones would cry out on his his behalf. All of creation would cry out. And where were these cheering people just five days later? Where were his disciples five days later? They all fled with the exception of a couple of his followers. And I have to say this in uh, favor of the women. More of the women stuck around. They probably had more immunity. But they stuck around waiting to see what would happen with Jesus. And we know that John also uh, stuck around. For many, they said they loved Jesus. They were definitely amazed at what he did. They liked when he made the bread and multiplied the fishes and gave them lunch. He loved them. They loved the miracles that he did. They just could not reconcile what was happening with the Messiah because he was not the Jesus that they had expected. So let me ask you a question today. Who is the Jesus that you expected? Do you expect a certain Jesus? Is it possible that maybe some of us have our eyes blinded in the same way and we don't fully see what Jesus is doing? Look at some of the leaders in the New Testament. John the Baptist doubted and asked, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we be looking for someone else? Even John the Baptist Jesus said he was one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. And here's John, who prepared the way for Jesus in a moment of doubt, saying, are you the one? His own disciples had a hard time accepting who he really was at first. When Jesus told Peter that he was going to have to die, Peter rebukes him. Peter argues with him. In Matthew 16, 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Probably a bad day for Peter. Peter thought he was doing the right thing, but he didn't understand. And it's amazing to me that even his closest followers yet did not understand the fullness of who Jesus was. Even Mary, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, close friends of Jesus, Jesus didn't meet Mary's expectations. Her brother Lazarus was dying. She sends to Jesus and said, Jesus, come. I know that if you touch him, he'll be healed. Jesus tells his disciples, let's wait a couple days. Instead of rushing off to heal, Jesus has a higher plan. Jesus was not the was not the Savior, was not the healer that Mary expected. And Judas, we know, betrayed Jesus when he was offended that Jesus was not the revolutionary. He wasn't the zealot that he thought that he was going to be. He wasn't going to overthrow the Romans. Judas became disillusioned, and it says that Satan entered his heart, and uh, he turned Jesus in. So what about you? Is the real Jesus the one that you're expecting? Have you created your own version of Jesus? What will you do when you encounter the real Jesus? And my real premise today is that you encounter the real Jesus now before the day when he returns to judge the nations. We need to encounter the Lord as the Lamb.
who died for our sins before he returns as the Lion of Judah and the one who will judge all nations. There was a a blog, it it was about 10 years ago now, by a man named Kevin DeYoung. Uh, He's got a blog site, it did, I haven't checked it recently, called uh, uh, DeYoung Restless and Reform blog. And uh, in an article, Who Do You Say That I Am? He says this, quote, The greatness of God is most clearly displayed in his Son, and the glory of the gospel is only made evident in his Son. That's why Jesus' question to his disciples in Matthew 16 is so important. Who do you say that I am? Let that question resound in your heart today. Who? Who do you say Jesus is? The question is doubly crucial in our day because no one is as popular in the U.S. as Jesus, and not every Jesus is the real Jesus. There's the Republican Jesus who's against tax increases and activist judges for family values and owning firearms. There's Democrat Jesus who is against Wall Street and Walmart for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's Starbucks Jesus who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversation, drives a hybrid and goes to film festivals. There's open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time no matter what except for people who are not as open-minded as you. There's touchdown Jesus who helps athletes run faster, jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. There's martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death so that we can feel sorry for him. There's gentle Jesus who is meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, who walks around barefoot wearing a sash while looking very German. There's hippie Jesus who teaches everyone to give peace a chance, imagines a world without religion, and helps us remember that all you need is love. There's yuppie Jesus who encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars, and buy a boat. By the way, many of the early disciples had a boat. Is there a problem with that? There's spirituality Jesus who hates religion, churches, pastors, preaches, priests, and doctrine, and would rather have people out in nature finding the God within while listening to ambiguously spiritual music. There's platitude Jesus, good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, bad sermons, inspiring people to believe in themselves. There's revolutionary Jesus who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, stick it to the man, and blame things on the system. There's guru Jesus, a wise inspirational teacher who believes in you and helps you find your center. There's boyfriend Jesus who wraps his arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. There's good example Jesus who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. And then there's the real Jesus. There's the Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, not just another prophet, not just another rabbi, not just a wonder worker. He was the one they had been waiting for, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed, the one to deliver us from captivity, the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh, the one to establish God's reign and rule, the one to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. This Jesus was the creator come to earth in the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the Christ prefigured to Noah in the flood, the Christ promised to Abraham, the Christ promised through Balaam before the Moabites, the Christ guaranteed to Moses before he died, the Christ promised to David when he was king, and the Christ revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, 
the Christ predicted through the prophets and prepared uh, for through John the Baptist. This Christ, and listen to these words, this Christ is not a reflection of the current mood or the projection of our own desires. In other words, this is not a Jesus made in our image. He is our Lord and God. He is the Father, Son, Savior of the world, substitute for our sins, more loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. One of the amazing ironies for me of the New Testament is the disciple John. Uh, John is one of my favorite. I love uh, just reading his gospel. It re resonates with me more than the other gospels. I think it's because he was so mystical. But uh, John is the one that is often leaning against Jesus or close to Jesus. He's one of the three that spend the most time among all the disciples. We think because John lived well into the 90s AD that he was probably a teenager when he was walking with Jesus in those days. John, many years later, when he was in his 90s, is on the Isle of Patmos. He's been banished there because of his faith. And he has a vision of Jesus, and the Jesus he sees is so different than the beautiful picture of Jesus that we often see painted. In Revelation 1.12, John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. And let me point out, if you read in context, the lampstands represent the churches of that day. It says, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth with a sharp double-edged sword, his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. John, remember, uh, had leaned against Jesus. There was this intimate relationship, very, probably very much like a father and son or an older and younger brother. But here, John sees Jesus revealed in his glory. In verse 17, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is the same thing that happens to Daniel. If you see the vision in Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 10, when Daniel sees the Lord revealed, he falls before him. There's no strength left in him. John says here, he says, then he placed his right hand on me and says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Notice what Jesus says there, and notice what's in his hand. When he rises from the dead, he has in his hand the key to life. Up till this moment in time, Satan, literally the usurper, the angel who rebelled against God, had power over people who had rebelled along with him against God. They were bound to death. There was a curse that was over all the earth because of sin and rebellion. People could not have eternal life. They couldn't know God personally. And now Jesus says, I have the power over death and Hades. I have the power to bring resurrection, not only to myself, I am the firstborn among many who will bring sons and daughters to life. And the Bible tells us that he is the firstborn, the Greek word prototokos, the same as the word prototype, the first of his kind, who will bring many back from the dead. I don't know about you, but that excites me. 
the fact that Jesus is very life itself and he has broken the power of death. You say, but I don't see that. We see a lot of suffering. We see death in our world today. Yes, the, the final promise of Jesus is coming. He's going to return when he destroys death finally once and for all. But when we see the true Jesus, I want you to know this, he's going to be greater than anything you can expect. He's going to be more holy than you can imagine. He's going to be more terrifying than you can imagine. A friend of mine, Rick Howard, pastor from Redwood City, California, had a vision many years ago where he was standing at the judgment seat of Christ. And Rick said that he was standing on this great plain and he saw at people's feet a whole mound of things. There was wood, there was stubble, there was hay, there was all kind of ignitable stuff, but there was also precious things that were mixed in. And he said, as the Lord approached each person one by one and he, his staff hit the ground and he called the person's name, that fire came out from the staff and consumed everything that was around the person's feet and it left a pile of jewels and gold and precious things that were enduring and each person fell on their face before the Lord. He said that he got to, Jesus got to the lady next to him, if I remember the story correctly, and he saw this happen. I believe it was his Sunday school teacher that was standing from when he was a little guy. And uh, he saw this woman fall on this treasure, this whole mound of treasure after everything was burned up. He said the next thing that he heard was his name being called. And he said, the only thing I can tell you, he said, it reminded me of the night that I snuck out and took my dad's car. And he said, my dad always called me Rick or Ricky. He said when everything was happy, but when I was in trouble, he would say, Richard? And in that moment, I heard the Lord call with all the love, but all the fear that you can imagine. I heard the word, Richard, give an account. And I woke up and I said, Lord, you didn't let me see what happened. You didn't let me see uh, what happened. You showed me all those other people. And the Lord said, Rick, your story isn't finished being written. You can still contribute to the things that are enduring rather than wood, hay, and stubble. When we come before the Lord, I guarantee you we'll be undone. For those of you that know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, for those of you as Revelation chapter 19 says, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, if you've repented of your sin and say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I want to serve you. I give my life to you. If you've done that and you belong to the Lord Jesus, you have nothing to fear in that moment, even though it's going to be a uh, terrible and yet wonderful moment all at the same time. You have nothing to fear. It's your elder brother. It's your father. It's the Lord Most High calling you by name. But if you don't belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll return as your judge. The Bible very clearly says that God doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to die in the judgment. He doesn't want to condemn anyone to hell. Actually, hell was created for Satan and the angels that rebelled against God that tried to destroy his creation. But the Lord gives us a chance and he gives us a choice. Will we know him as our savior or will we know him as our judge? And I want you to just take a moment this morning and I want you to think about that. I really feel that God is doing some amazing things in the midst of this coronavirus crisis I don't believe that God wants people to suffer. I don't believe he designs viruses, but I believe he uses everything the devil does for good. And can I tell you something that maybe many of us don't realize? Satan cannot win. 
the enemy of our souls, the one we call the devil, he cannot win. No matter what he does, he can't win because he's part of creation and God is the creator. Jesus is the son of God. John 1 says that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus was there in the beginning as creator. And now he comes to us and he says, will you come to me? One more picture I want to share. In the beginning of the book of Revelation in chapter 5, when John is called up to heaven, maybe it's chapter 4, and he's standing there and there's a scroll that's presented that has seven seals. It represents the last of all that God is going to do in redeeming the earth and humanity before the judgment comes. And John begins to cry because he says there was no one that was worthy to open the scroll. And then he looks and he sees one who looks like a lamb, but he says it looks like a lamb who was slain. In other words, there were scars that indicated this lamb had died and now was alive. That's Jesus standing on our behalf before the Father. Will you give yourself to him? Will you know him? Will you allow your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life? I want to pray this morning and uh, just ask God to touch people. I'm going to ask Pastor Jeff to come up and uh, join me. I'm going to ask him to pray, and also we're going to pray together and just ask the Lord for wisdom. Pastor Jeff, I just want to ask you maybe to respond in prayer and yeah, I'd, I'd love to. As, as you were sharing and you began to share about uh, John the Baptist and, and his response of even saying, hey, are you the one we should be expecting? Um, and maybe, maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll say like a, just a short thing and then I can just jump into prayer. But, you know, John the Baptist at that point was, was in prison <laughs> and he was preaching that this Messiah would come and his expectation of Jesus was, was, was probably different than it turned out as he's sitting there in prison. And so it's this circumstance that didn't match up with in John's head where he thought things were going. And I love Jesus's response to him. Um, so I want to point to that as we consider these claims of, of Christ. Jesus told them, because John sent out people to ask Jesus. Um, so Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. And so Jesus doesn't say, hey, John, let me tell you why you're in prison right now. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me tell you everything about why the circumstance is the way it is. He says, let me look at what I'm doing. And, and he's actually choosing things that are actually uh, Old Testament predictors of, of what the Messiah would be. And he's giving clues to say, look, I am who I say I am. So get your eyes off of your circumstance and onto my claims. Um, so I want to just pray this out. God, I pray for those of us who are, where our eyes are on our circumstance right now. God, we're on, uh, our eyes are on this virus. Our eyes are on people we, we know. Our eyes are on our expectations of what you should be doing, what we think you should be doing. God, I pray that you would come and you would bring scripture to life to us that you would help us to find that real Jesus that's in scripture. And we would be called to that place of needing to consider the claims of Christ. Jesus, that when we hear you say uh, that, that in order to find our life, we need to lose it. 
Jesus, when we hear you say that there's no way to, to the Father except through you, God, would we respond to that claim by saying, Jesus, we are completely surrendered and completely yours. And so God, I pray for, for any of those who are, who are still in that place of, of needing to make that decision. Um, God, I pray that you would give them the courage and the boldness to respond to the claims of Jesus and to say yes, to let him in on, on the throne of their heart as, the, as, as their king and as their Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, I, as, as you were praying, I have this strong impression from the Lord that there are, and, and it's more than just several, there are a number of people out there. And because God did not meet your expectations at a certain point in your life, and specifically several of you have lost loved ones, and you said in that moment, how could God let this happen? Why would God let this happen? The first thing the Lord wants you to know is things often look different from his perspective than our perspective. He says, for those people that die, he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his loved ones. So when God calls somebody home, he's calling them home. He's got a different perspective. But because the Lord did not do things the way you wanted it, your heart became bitter against God. And the Lord is saying right now, you need to trust him. If you will just come to him and open your heart to him. Sometimes we're even afraid to admit, I'm angry with God. But there, there are some of you, this has kept you away from God. You're watching this now and you're saying, okay, uh, yeah, he's right. I was angry and I have a right to be angry. Yes, you do. But you also have a right to be honest with God. David was. In the Psalms, if you read some of the things that David said, David says, why do I do all the things right? My neighbors are evil and they're more blessed than I am. He's so honest with God. So you can be honest with God, but I, I challenge you to go to him today and ask him and seek him. In the world that we live in, things are so broken. One other thing I want to say is that a lot of people blame God for the evil that happens in the world that's really not his uh, intention. Uh, I chided somebody this past week. They said that their insurance company said it was an act of God. And I said, does that mean your insurance company has a, a specific theology? And God only does bad things, according to the insurance company. That's why I like our theology better. It's more comprehensive. But I want you to know that God loves you. And, and, and I just pray right now, Lord, if there's anybody, Lord, sometimes things in life hit us so hard. We lose a loved one. Uh, a, we lose a job. People do evil things to us. I even think about some of the things that happen to people in the Bible, just wicked, amazing, terrible things. And yet you were faithful to those people, Lord. You didn't say that you would rescue us from everything. You said in this world we would have trouble, but that if we gave our lives to you, you said, take heart because I, I have overcome the world. So Lord, just release the hearts, people that have taken offense against you, just release their hearts right now and enable them to trust in you, in Jesus' name. But yeah, let me bless you as you go. God, thank you for each person that tuned in. God, each family, uh, God, each, each individual. And God, I pray that you would continue to open our eyes to see the real Jesus in, in the word. And Lord, I just pray your favor and your blessing, your protection and your grace over each one watching in Jesus' name. And God, send us out in the power of your Holy Spirit to be witnesses for Jesus during this time. God, give us creative ideas for how to love and bless other people and help us to represent you well. We choose to not walk in fear, but to walk in resilient faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us.